everybody, and welcome back to the Saltworks Podcast. I'm your host, Hallie Dye. If you've been around a while, you know that we like to take a minute every once in a while, a break from the conversation, just to dig into God's Word together. Usually we're in a specific passage, and if you want, if you have your Bible and you want to open to a specific passage, we are going to be anchored in Psalm 23 today, but we're going to bounce around between some other affirmations. Um, You know, we live in a time of identity crisis. Without even getting into how that has played out or is playing out in mainstream media or secular ways, I just want to address how it's played out inside the church and how it's played out in my life. I've routinely sought God's word for many years. While there have been inevitable seasons of drought and doubt, I seek his word because I know it to be true and I take him at his word. I see his character as he loves despite betrayal, chases down prodigals, disciplines those he loves, and forgives all who come to him. And I have believed that for them. And I started this year with a large blind spot that I don't have anymore, and I want to speak to it for someone who may be where I was. I went to a women's conference earlier this year where each speaker built their message around one verse from Psalm chapter 23, and that psalm that centers around how he is our good shepherd. I know that, I've heard that, I believe that, but my spirit was at unrest the whole weekend for a number of reasons, but the root cause of it all was that I was not actually walking with the belief that he is my good shepherd. Now, what's the difference in knowing this truth and walking in this truth? Well, to be frank, everything. I have this pet peeve, um, and I want to be wise with how I share this, but it happens sometimes in the church, um, and I'm not coming down on anyone. I, I too have used these words, but I want us to be careful with them. It comes from a good place and it isn't all false. It just maybe lacks a little finesse that I think we need to be mindful of. Um, and it's sometimes the loud and abrasive way that we say it's not about you. I know, I know it is true. And if you've said this, I'm again, I'm not coming down and I still love you. I've said it too. But let me explain. I just think this phrase can be a little overused and a little underexplained. It's true. Life is not about me and my name isn't in the Bible and my service isn't about me and my legacy won't be about me. It, it's always and completely about the living God. As we seek him and worship him, we put the focus of our lives on him. He's the reason for everything we do. So one way that phrase is 100% true is that it, it's all about him. And as we do that, we glorify him and our lives become a living sacrifice to show others where they too can find redemption and eternal life and abundant life. So in this way, this phrase is a true in another way because I have to live in the freedom of self-forgetfulness, as Tim Keller calls it, because I can't worry what others think about me. I must be obedient so that I can be the Lord's vessel for others. So in that way, it's also not about me. And I'm not disagreeing with the phrase and I'm not disagreeing with the message. I just think it lacks a level of love that is innately a part of Jesus Christ. While I understand that we're in a battle against self-serving gospels, and we need to be honest about that, when we aren't careful about phrases like it isn't about you, it can sometimes translate as, yes, Jesus came to bring us abundant life, but you aren't invited. Or yes, God is a loving father, but just not yours. And think about that. It doesn't make any sense why he would give up his life to come and seek me, looked at how undeserving and unworthy I was, forgive my sins before I'd even asked, and then continue to forgive, pursue, and love me unconditional while I stumble through life loving him conditionally at best. 
I am so undeserving. So that makes a good case. Why would he be about me? And while yes, life in itself is not about me, service and building God's kingdom is not about me, but his love actually is. His grace and sacrifice and abounding love is about you. You are invited. And I think that we are sometimes trying to communicate is that we aren't going to feel that truth or walk by it if we focus on our lack and limitations rather than his limitless love and unwavering character. In this way, when we stop staring at ourselves and how we're unworthy, but turn our gaze towards heaven and behold and wonder how worthy he is, it moves us to worship and it changes everything. The problem with removing self totally from his truth is that I need his truth to transform myself. His transforming love is only a beautiful sentiment when it applies to someone else. But the selfish and needy creatures that we are, we are created to need him personally. We need to know how he feels about us. To put it this way, I have known some really great people that have wonderful qualities and talents and are genuinely good humans, but they may not have personally seen, known, liked, or pursued me. That's why every breakup or relational rift hurts. I mean, think about it. You wouldn't have been in any form of relationship with that person if you didn't see some good qualities in them. So it really hurts when they don't return that same sentiment to you. In order for relationships to work, both people have to know how they feel about each other. I think that happens in our minds regarding our good shepherd. We study all of his attributes. We see all of his splendor and his goodness, and it makes total sense that we would worship him with our lives. How could we not? But without connecting those attributes to how he sees and loves us personally, we're capable of service and awe for him, but we're incapable of walking in the freedom of his love because we haven't accepted or fully grasped that he loves us. I always skipped right over phrases in the Old Testament like the Lord your God when a message came to one of his people. I just read it as a longer way to say God and moved past it. Only recently have I begun to understand that phrase was establishing two things in one breath. It's saying he is definitely the Lord of the universe and he is also your God. We have an identity crisis in the church because while I can't ever find my identity outside of him and I must first know who he is, we must take that step a little further and make the connection of who we are in Christ. So before you go today, I want to read you some affirmations, yes, about the Lord of heavens and earth, but I want you to know those affirmations about him are for you. There's a a verse in Psalm 15 that calls for the righteous to speak truth in his heart. So I want to ask before I read these, will you commit to speak truth in your heart? Not just today, but as we leave today. Lisa Turkhurst said that mental health is being committed to reality at all costs. If that is true, and I believe it is, then spiritual maturity comes with being committed to the reality of God's truth at all costs and in all circumstances. Because in order for the word of God to change our lives, we have to take him at his word. So as you listen today, listen for that one thing that pricks your conscience. Listen for that truth that gives you chills and brings you tears. That's the one you aren't fully believing. Confess that to the Lord. Sit with him in that, write it down, and commit to speaking that truth in your own heart. So number one, God is good. His type of goodness does not mean almost great, good, not great. It means a level of purity that no other word could replace. 
He is purely good and purely righteous. Therefore, everything he does in your life and for your life is for your good. Jackie Hill Perry once said, if God cannot sin, then he cannot sin against you. The definition of sin once once described as both the overstepping of a line and a failure to reach it, both transgression and shortcoming. While most of us would agree wholeheartedly the Lord is not going to transgress against us, deep down we're When we're stuck in a waiting period or we haven't received the deliverance or hope or healing we've prayed for, we wonder if he's forgotten. In this way, we wonder if he's failed to reach what we need. He cannot and will not fail to provide what you need. When Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. I want you to hear today, the Lord is your shepherd. He's leading you personally. If that's all you meditate on this week, sit in that truth. But on top of that, You have all that you need in him. Number two, he is unchanging. His favor lasts for a lifetime. Does he discipline those he loves? Yes. Is he surprised when we let him down again? No. He's already in tomorrow before you even get there, and he's covered that too. We have to stop ascribing to him human emotions and recognize that as an unchanging God, when he says he's redeemed us, he meant it and he is not going to revoke his favor. Even if that means shepherding you through a hard lesson, is his favor because I'm good or I'm worthy? No, it is solely based on the merit of Jesus Christ alone, and yet there's nothing I can do to outrun it. While our seasons change and our emotions with them, just because he's making us lie down in green pastures or leading you beside still waters does not mean his character has shifted from what it was on the mountaintop. Rather, it is a further extension of his personal love for what you specifically need in this moment when he forces us to wait and rest and lie down against our will sometimes. He's not forgetting you. He's seeing what you need and then meeting it. Number three, he is ever present. The Lord is not far from you at any moment. There are moments we feel his presence palpably They are the greatest moments despite whatever circumstances occur around us. But we need to be reminded that his presence does not depend on our notice, nor our emotions. When we feel elated, he's with us. When we feel afraid, he is with us. When we feel gratitude, he is with us. When we feel discontentment, he is with us. When we feel despair or bereft or abandoned, he is still with us. I'm so grateful that that truth is not up to my ability to perceive it in the moment. And his presence restores our soul. And in that hope, he leads us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have nothing to fear because he promises and he will be and he is with us every step of the way. We can take comfort in that truth and speak it in our own hearts, even in moments we don't see it or feel it. Number four, he's unfailing and faithful. When he has said you are redeemed and you have eternal life, he will be faithful to keep that promise. In fact, though we remain, it is already done. It is finished. At the moment of your salvation, a place was set for you at his table and it will not be removed. As Miss Luann Butler said last week on episode 38, I know I have a place at the table because of what Jesus did at Calvary. I can never do one thing to earn it or have it taken away. Ephesians 2 says that we were once dead in our sins and following the enemy in our flesh, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, 
with which he loved us, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That says while we were dead. Do you know what a dead man can do? Nothing. Dead men have no capability. And while we were incapable of anything, he made us alive in Christ and seated, not will seat, not is going to seat, but already. Priscilla Shire says, even now we are seated in heavenly places. And because he is unchanging, there's nothing you can ever do to change him. He's anointed our heads with oil and our cup overflows. Number five, he is trustworthy and compassionate. You can trust that he always has a plan and always will love you. Don't sit and live in feelings of failure. He wants you to come to his goodness and mercy. In fact, they are following you all the days of your life. Don't hide in shame. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. The last thing we feel when we have failed or fallen short is bold, especially in our approach to a good and perfect God. But that isn't what this verse says. It says to come boldly to the throne of grace, not in our best times, not in our successes, but in our times of need. Well, when do we need grace and mercy? When we have fallen short and need a dose of both. And no, there's not a maximum or a quota that you can outrun. Approach his throne boldly every time. When you feel you've messed up, His goodness and mercy are already following you. When you feel alone, His goodness and mercy are following you. When you feel uninvited, when you feel purposeless, when you feel anything, not just occasionally, but His good and mercy are following you every single day of your life. We won't ever feel confident in our worth, but we can confidently approach the throne of grace every moment because of who He is. And number six, he holds you and your future. While it feels hazy or unsure, rocky or chaotic, he's already there. He's preparing you for the plans he prepared for you long ago. And at the very end, if nothing else, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What I want you to hear this week and allow to sink in, let your, let your heart be encouraged. That's something that the Psalms say. You know, sometimes we are the reason we're not encouraged. We do not allow ourselves to be encouraged. Don't quench the spirit. What I want you to hear is that he's not only good, he's good to you. He's not only unchanging, he will not remove his favor from you. He's not only ever present, he's with you right now and everywhere you go. He's not only unfailing, he cannot and will not fail you. He's not only compassionate, but he has compassion for you right now in what you're going through. He doesn't just hold the whole world in his hands. He's holding you. Have a wonderful week, SaltWorks fam. I'm praying the Spirit is stirring your heart to these truths right now today. As you enter Thanksgiving festivities, remember these truths. Speak them in your heart. Walk in gratitude. And I'll see you next time on The Salt Works. This is my story. This is your story.